Hello and welcome to In Unison, the podcast for choral conductors, composers, and choristers, where we interview members of our choral community to talk about new music, new and upcoming performances, and discuss the interpersonal and social dynamics of choral organizations in the San Francisco Bay Area and beyond. Beyond. We are your hosts. I am Zane Fiala, Artistic Director of the International Orange Chorale of San Francisco. And I'm Giacomo Di Gregoli, a tenor in IOCSF, the Golden Gate Men's Chorus, and the San Francisco Symphony Chorus. And this is... In Unison! This week, we chat with three of the authors of the Black Voices Matter Pledge, Zaneda Robles, Melissa Dunphy, and Christy McKinney. We discuss the details of the pledge, the politics of composing, and breaking the cycle of apathy in combating social change in our choral communities. We're going to hear one music excerpt in the middle of the episode, but you'll want to stick around at the end to hear more new music from LA-based choir Tonality, including compositions from Drs. Robles and Dunphy. But now, before we get into the meat of the conversation, let's listen to the title track of Tonality's recent CD, Sing About It, by Moira Smiley. So joining us today 
on In Unison, we have three guests, and we're very excited to welcome all three of them to the show. Uh, first up, we have Dr. Zineda Robles, and Zineda is a composer, vocalist, conductor, clinician, and adjudicator. She serves on the board of the National Association of Negro Musicians and is chair of the board of directors of Tonality, which is a nonprofit organization that promotes peace, unity, and social justice through choral music performance in Los Angeles. Currently, Zineda is a performing arts instructor at Harvard-Westlake Upper School in Studio City, California. And Zaneda received uh, her degrees, her doctorate from the USC Thornton School of Music, her master's from CSU Northridge, her bachelor's from CSU Long Beach, and is a graduate of the LA County High School for the Arts. Did I miss anything, Zaneda? That's enough. That's, that's, that's all. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> well, welcome. Also joining us today, we have Dr. Melissa Dunphy, who is an award-winning and acclaimed composer specializing in vocal, political, and theatrical music. Uh, Melissa has served as composer-in-residence for the Immaculata Symphony Orchestra, Volte Choral Arts Lab, Volte Choral Institute, and the St. Louis Chamber Chorus. She is a Barrymore Award-nominated composer and sound designer working with several Philadelphia-area theaters, and she has been Director of Music Composition at the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center National Puppetry Conference. Ooh, that's a mouthful. Since yeah, 2014. <laughs> Melissa has her PhD in Music Composition from the University of Pennsylvania and a Bachelor's in Theory and Composition from Westchester University and is a Lecturer in Composition at Rutgers. Did I miss anything, Melissa? No, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Great. Welcome, welcome. And our third and final guest, we have Christy McKinney joining us as well. Christy is the Director of Programs and Member Services for Chorus America. And prior to joining Chorus America, Christy taught middle school, uh, choral, and general music, and directed musicals in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. She has held invited positions on the ACDA State Board and the East, uh, Eastern Division Planning Committee and received the Outstanding Young Conductor Award from ACDA's Pennsylvania chapter. Christy holds a bachelor's in music education from Penn State and a master's in arts management from American University in D.C. Christy is a proud singer in and board chair of the Essence of Joy Alumni Singers, a choir that performs music of the African and African-American traditions. Christy, did I miss anything? No, that was beautifully done. Thanks, Zane. Happy <laughs> to be here. Great. Welcome. So glad to have all three of you joining us today. And we're thrilled to have all three of you because all three of you are co-authors of our topic of discussion today, which is the Black Voices Matter Pledge, which we'll chat about in just a brief moment, right after my favorite parts, or one of my favorite parts of our episodes, which is the icebreakers, where everyone gets a little chance to get to know you. So I'm going to throw out a couple of things. Jump in when you feel comfortable. Um, toss them back if you feel like you need an extra second. I'm sure we can scrounge up and answer ourselves. But here's an icebreaker for, um, for each of you. So aside from the miracle of the individual human voice, which obviously we're all familiar with, what instruments fascinate you and why? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, <laughs> um, um, the first, like, I love collecting instruments. Um, I, I've, I always wanted to have an instrument collection um, since I was a little kid and I'm starting to collect them. Um, but I'm so fascinated by the hammered dulcimer. I love the hammered dulcimer so much. 
I don't have one yet. And I don't know. I took a hammer dulcimer lesson once and I loved it and I was terrible at it. But I love that instrument so much. It just fascinates me. First thing, it popped right in my mind right away. I love that instrument. All right, Zaneda is on it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I am a violist and I feel like I would betray my kind if I didn't talk about <laughs> how much I love the viola because <laughs> I love the viola so much. I really, you know, it's one, it, I think it's the reason I'm a composer and I tell people this all the time, all the great composers that you know and love, you know, yes, all the dead white German dudes that you know and love, they're all violists, actually. Uh, like, people don't realize Mozart preferred playing viola in string quartets with Papa Haydn. Beethoven's first professional job was as lead violist for the Bonn Symphony Orchestra. Dvorak was a violist. Like, all of these great orchestral composers were violists, and it's because we get such boring parts in orchestra and we are right in the middle of the beast. Like we play in the belly of the beast, in the middle of the machine, watching all of the mechanics and it's boring. So we watch everything that's going on around us. And because of that, we get the best orchestration lessons in the world. Viola is a criminally underused instrument. And uh, I, love the tone of viola i love everything about it and i it made me who i am so everybody you know respect the viola i know it's fun to to tell dumb jokes about us but but all your faves violists actually i have a newfound respect for the viola i know i feel chat. like whoa i almost want to change my answer <laughs> <laughs> yes well, do you i know, have achieved my goal <laughs> do you know the nico muley the the nico muley we talked with a couple of weeks ago the viola concerto i was listening to that ooh Oh, man, oh, that is just yeah. fabulous. Yeah. So even from that, it was just like amazing. Yes. Oh, totally. <laughs> Christy, what about you? Uh, I'm gonna. Ha I could say a couple different things, but I think I think I'm gonna go with the French horn today. Um, and and it's simply because I think it is extremely challenging. I had to learn how to play the French horn very briefly in my undergrad program to learn how to be a music teacher. And it just even further elevated my respect for the people who play the French horn, but also mostly because I think that the French horn is frequently used in orchestration as like the Phoenix rising moment. And I I just love that moment. Like I can sing along to most French horn lines on TV shows that have them in their theme songs. It's a fairly annoying trait that I have that my friends make fun of me for. But yeah, the, the French horn definitely has like a big piece of my musical heart. Also an underutilized instrument, kind of like the viola. And I often refer to the French horn part in a marching band as being the most boring part ever. All you do is just sit there and go, pa, 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 Wow. That's so funny. I wouldn't know because I'm a violinist. Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, as a violinist, I really can't relate. So Yeah, I played trumpet, so... <laughs> Me either. <laughs> I I feel like uh, we have well broken the ice here and we're ready to do some ice fishing. So um, why don't we jump into um, the, the meat and potatoes of our, of our conversation here, which is the Black Voices Matter Pledge. And right off from the bat, I would love if one of you could just tell folks, what is it exactly and how did it come about? I don't necessarily feel like I have the, the, the best first answer except to say that it's... Um, it's deep. 
um, and comprehensive and um, really, uh, it really is, is a pledge to, to uh, well, I mean, obviously you could, you could read the pledge, it's long, <laughs> but um, essentially it just, it, it, it's something I can just say that personally makes me feel good whenever I read it, particularly, particularly as a person who identifies as black. Um, you know, it's a, it's represents the coming together of several incredible minds, um, all focused on how to push our industry, you know, or our, our art form towards a more, um, equitable way of being, um, and at every level, um, with really, really specific, uh, components um, to, to this pledge that, that call for um, very specific actions. And I think that specificity um, is what it really um, is what gives this, this pledge its teeth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course we will put a link to the pledge uh, website in our show notes. So the listeners can go there and check it out for themselves if they haven't yeah. already. I feel like it's something that um, has been necessary for a long time uh, in our industry. You know, it, many of us uh, have been learning and talking and discussing and railing against, you know, the inequity that we see. Um, and not all of it is, you know, completely overt, but it's demonstrated in, in, uh, what we see in our community, what we see at conferences, the segregation of of uh, races within the choral community, specifically like, you know, black choirs versus not black choirs, you know, and uh, there's this segregational sort of uh, a break there. And then, you know, because of that separation, um, it, there are so many issues which are just poorly dealt with, I think, within our community. And this is something that, um, and I, I talk about this as someone who loves this community. I'm not sort of, you know, oh, the community is terrible. And you, it's not. It's a community that, you know, has room for improvement, like all of American society in general. <laughs> um, but because we in the choral community are very much a community, choral singing in itself is a community building activity. I think that it's incumbent upon us to address these issues and be leaders in this kind of, um, this healing really, this uh, adjustment, this, this justice seeking that needs to happen in our culture generally. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I feel like I was on the periphery of this whole thing. Like I was just this happy person to be in the room watching all of this happen with these great minds coming together to discuss these issues. But I'm so proud to have been involved in this. That's a great Same segue. Could, maybe how, um, how did each of you come to be involved with this? Christy, why don't you start by giving us an idea how you came to be involved with the, the pledge? Sure. So I had been in conversation uh, around these topics with some of the other co-authors for a couple of years prior to the pledge starting. And I think um, my my eager in participating and listening and in um, 
spaces where this conversation was happening um, and participating in trying to move the work forward of the pledge um, was why I was invited to participate. And, um, and I was really honored to be invited just to have some conversations that eventually led to to uh, a decision that a pledge could be a pathway forward because um, as Anita and, and Melissa both mentioned, it's really, really uh, vital to the founding of the pledge concept that it be based in action. And that's kind of the, the thread of the pledge is an acknowledgement of, of what exists in the coral field right now and action about how to go about creating the change that we're hoping to see happen. Mm. So I'd love to focus on that or just follow up on that for a second, because um, as someone, Zane and I both attended um, Chorus America's Winter Conference, which was great. There was a track that was focused on ADEI. Um, and, and the thing that um, one of the takeaways that we had was um, that it's about breaking the cycle of apathy, right? Mm -hmm. That like horrific things happened. We all wring our hands. It's so terrible. And then nothing happens. And then something more horrible happens next, right? So like until someone does something, there's action. It's just going to keep perpetuating. I would love to ask each of you, maybe whoever sort of might have an example in mind. Um, we'd love to call attention to the ways that groups or individuals are turning the pledge into action so far, including but not limited to music or arrangements or whatever. Like what's working, what doesn't, and maybe who are some good examples of like, yes, that's great. That's the kind of action that we think is really cool. Good question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna call out um, Ahmed Anzaldua, who runs a group uh, called Border Crossing. Um, they're doing some really phenomenal work about uh, kind of reimagining what choral music's purpose can be, um, and and how some of the classics can be involved um, in moving forward the conversation. I just uh, we it, actually at part of our winter conference we had we featured. A a piece of theirs as kind of a collection of Minnesota featured organizations that was a reimagining Ahmed had done himself of um, a piece of the Messiah that was bilingual in the presentation. And it was beautiful and, and it was appropriate and joyfully done and with beautiful music integrity and, you know, honored the, honored the, the, original founding of the pieces idea and moving it forward in a direction that was inclusive of the community performing it. Um, and I think that's a great example. Hmm. I'm going to say, um, <laughs> and I mean, so we don't have Alex Lloyd Blake in the room with us, uh, but one of the reasons, the reason that I signed on to the pledge uh, is because of Alex and the work that he's doing with tonality. So, you know, Alex had run into each other and I had run into each other at choral conferences and we sort of instantly clicked over, um, really over, you know, some of the injustices that we were seeing, some of the rooms that we were in where we saw conversations about diversity happening in ways that, um, that we knew would not solve the problem. And, uh, you know, I'm a pretty opinionated person. I think Alex is too. And so we would sort of find each other through the crowd and immediately be like, oh my gosh, I have to talk, I have to deconstruct this. I have to talk about how this isn't fixing the problem and, you know, what can we do to fix the problem in the future? Um, and he is someone who has so put his money where his mouth is in terms of what he's doing with his choir. When I saw what Tonality is doing and uh, the way that they are 
just obviously right off the bat, a an incredibly diverse choir with, a, a, you know, really um, multi-talented people who can sing in a variety of different styles. So it's not just, you know, one style of music. It's not just, you know, one small cadre of composers who they perform. They can do such a wide, st- a wide range of music. Um, and so many different perspectives in the choir so that they can do that music really well. Um, I feel like they put different spins on old music that um, that we haven't heard before because of the breadth of this experience. And it's really like, it's just such a shiny example of how diversity is strength, you know, mm-hmm. and is what we need in our, in our art form. Um, so, yeah, I feel like when, when Alex, you know, called me up and said, do you want to be involved in this? I'm like, I will do anything I can to help you with this project because I believe so strongly in what you do. And, uh, you know, yes, he's like the first name on the pledge, but also everybody should probably check out what he's doing as an amazing example of what this kind of attitude can create. You're here. Yeah. Here, yeah. Um, I can't speak highly enough of Alex. Um, same same thing, you know, Alex is this gravitational being that tends to pull you towards, um, you know, that which needs urgent attention. Um, and I think, uh, you know, the, the work that he's done um, it, and continues to do is just phenomenal through tonality, which is why I'm, I'm so in, invested, you know, personally and, and emotionally and in every way and in that work because because he he's just example exemplifying it yeah i'm so impressed by alex and his work and especially his arrangement of poor wayfaring stranger on the tonality cd
will indulge me for a moment in bragging on the composers who are in the room. Zaneda, I have had Can You See on loop in my car. Every morning I drive to Aqua Aerobics, I'm literally like, I have it memorized. If you need a tenor, you call. Let me know. <laughs> Um, and and Melissa, I have to tell you that your um, the, I'm reaching back a little bit further here, but your Gonzalez cantatas for me were a huge inspiration in a drag show I did actually. No, really? A few years ago. Yes, it, we were on the eve of the uh, 2016 election, and we thought that my God, this absurd human being who is this can't be real. This can't be real. Yes. And we took it to a place where we're like, well, how can we express the absurdity of this moment? And as a men's gay men's choir, you know, we went to our retreat, which was literally the weekend before the the Tuesday and I thought oh my god I, we, it, the way that it looked in that first performance where everyone was dressed with the sashes and the tiaras and yes. the absurdity of pageants in general like just that's just my personal opinion oh um, for sure mine too obviously it, I designed that show so yeah <laughs> thank you so I, both of those were just exceptional and I think you know thank you for that and I wanted to ask you both also following up on that um, I think you've both also spoken about um the importance of, you know, one of the things that's, that's sort of focused on this pledge is that it's obviously a very specific political uh, uh, request and a political pledge. And you've both written music where you have put politics front and center in what you've got to say. How do you think about that uh, in terms of your art? I mean, some people might say, well, you know, the political is not you know, artistic or something, or like either you're, you're appreciating <laughs> flowers on a tree or you're, you know, something else. Tell us a yeah. little bit more about <laughs> the art of writing. Yes, both of those people go are ridiculous. Go on, go on. Yes, go. We've unleashed the beast. Go. Everything is political. Choosing to write a piece of music about the majesty of the universe when fascism is on the rise all around the world that's a political choice. You made a choice to not speak to what was happening and in the world around you and instead focusing on something that you consider to be timeless and apolitical. Apoliticism is a political choice. <laughs> you may think it isn't, but it totally is. And speaking as a woman, an immigrant, someone who grew up in a Chinese immigrant household in Australia, actually, I cannot not be a political composer. It's impossible because just putting a female name on a program still in the 21st century, in the year 2021, that's a political thing. Like when you see female composers on a program, people interpret that as a political choice, whether you like it or not. So, you know, I came to a decision earlier on in my career where I was like, first of all, I'm going to be seen as political no matter what I do. So why would I shy away from that? And secondly, every single thing that I do is political. <laughs> and every single thing that every composer does is political. You know, I get so mad when people say that art and politics aren't connected or like, you know, politics dirties up art or something. I feel like that's actually a really, like it's an extension, frankly, it's an extension of white supremacy. It's like purity in, in you know, race and purity in artistic, like this is the default. It's timeless. Classical music is timeless by default and it's not political. And it's just such bullshit. I'm so angry at that assertion at all levels. When you program, a, why is it that if you program a bunch of dead white German men on a, pro, on, a, on a concert that's seen as 
apolitical, but if you were to program a bunch of women of color in a classical music concert, suddenly you are like a feminist diversity, you know, uh, cancel culture, blah, 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 making this political decision. They're both exactly as political as each other, but um, white supremacy has convinced us that one of, and patriarchy has convinced us that one of these things is an apolitical default. And I'm sorry, but that is absolute bullshit. So yeah, that's my big rant. <laughs> I'm mad. I get so mad. And, you know, it goes all the way down. Like I, kids come to me with these questions. Like, I don't want to be a political composer. Uh, can I not be a political composer? Like, I don't, I don't want to talk about politics and I have to sit them down and say, I am sorry, but you're, but if you write something about a tree, that's political. Too late kids, <laughs> too late kids, you exist. Yeah. No, I'm glad she said it. I mean, it, it's like, you know, in this country, especially particularly in this country where I mean, this, where there's so much diversity, like by by makeup, you know, that's there's there's other countries that don't have what we have. They're all one type of people, and that's how it's supposed to be. And you know, fine, that's not us. And so, and we definitely have a system in place that favors one group for and continues to favor one group for a long time. Therefore, if you come in here and you're not a part of that group, you're automatically different, or you're automatically, you know. Um, out of the norm or or you're making a statement or something like that just because you exist like that's that's been my whole experience like my whole life like i'm different just because i'm here just because i because i'm not like the dominant you know culture so so with that you know, honestly you know i i came to composing you know being a real composer you know i came to composing kind of late and i got it it just kind of got pulled out of me because you know that you can't you, you just can't I couldn't not write what I was what I was seeing I couldn't you know and and so um and I don't I don't really think I you know consciously try you know I don't I'm, I'm not thinking about politics I'm actually not thinking about politics while I'm writing these pieces for, for me it's just you know, it, I write the piece, I write what, what speaks to me, you know, I write what, you know, my heart song, whatever that is. And then it gets seen a certain way, you know, it gets taken a certain way, you know, and I, you know, I think you have to, I think, you know, I have to let that go, you know, it's going to be, you know, loved or hated or used or not used and whatever, you know, but, but for me, I'm, I'm, I'm really not thinking about what do I want my piece to do, you know, for the, I, I really, I really I'm a pretty selfish composer from in that from that perspective, in that I write what what I need what I need mm. to get out, you know. Um, but then it ends up being political anyways. You can't control what your piece does. <laughs> That's like the truth right. of being a composer is you can't control really what your piece does when it's out there in the world. And even if right. you think you even like I've written pieces that I'm like, here is what I want that piece to do, and it goes out into the world, and it affects people beyond what I possibly could have imagined. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and I get very personal letters from performers and audience members about how it's affected them and how it's helped them. And, you know, that was not, that wasn't my specific intention. And then I realized though, that, 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 that is what that art is about. And that is what it's for. It's helping people. And it's not, it's not about my intention. It's about how it made the world better once it got out there. 
I'd actually, I'd like to return back to the pledge for, for a second. And um, Christy, this is a question for you because I know that you, like me, are a singer. Um, and I believe we all sing, right? I'm, to, to varying degrees, we are singers. But um, this is something that um, I noticed in reading the pledge, which was very interesting to kind of go through it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's my responsibility? What do I, what can I do? What do I do? And what's interesting is while we understand the importance of beginning with policy, leaders, decision makers, what do you believe is the responsibility of singers individually to help affect change? Because I think we're also people with agency that can affect decisions and policymaking. So what's my responsibility? What's your responsibility as a singer? Yeah, it's a great question. And we have actually talked about it a little bit as a group. And I think there will be an addition to the pledge at some point that addresses it specifically. Um, but there, there is a lot of agency as a singer. And I, I'm, I know I'm not alone in the sentiment of sitting in a rehearsal and wondering if the thing that's happening in front of me is offensive to other people in the room and, and feeling that. And then like, what's the responsibility in that moment? Um, you know, I've taken I've taken the opportunity personally to go and talk to the conductor about it and try and open the open a conversation because I think what one of the things that's so important about the pledge is that um, you know we we want to name all the all the good work that's being done publicly, but the truth is that a lot of this work is very private. It's one on one conversations. It is a conversation between an artistic leader and a board chair or two singers in an organization. Um, and and the Nate and the thing that makes the action compelling and uh, and have movement behind it is the relationship that ties the people who have having the conversation together. So hopefully as singers, we have a relationship with our fellow singers and the conductors in the room to go and say, I'd really like to talk about this. There's something that doesn't feel right to me. And I, and I'm not sure what that is, but can we talk about it together? And just stating a discomfort is a, is a starting place. And then, you know, what can be done about that? Are there other people who have that same feeling? Is that a conversation that, that because the singer spoke up, then the conductor can open up with the organization and say, let's explore this a little bit. And that takes a real self-awareness and a humility um, from a leader's position, but it takes a lot of courage from the part of the singer, because in the traditional sense of choral music, the conductor is a powerful one and the singers have no agency. And they are in part, they are the tools, the instruments of the conductor. But that's not really true, right? We know that the conductor stands up there and they wave their arms and unless the singers sing, nothing happens. So uh, using oh, I th your- I think we learned that, we learned that with with uh, frontline workers in COVID, didn't we? Because it's <laughs> like, who do you think is keeping the, holding the glue together? Yes. And I, if I can, if I can um, further indulge myself with one request, since I have three of the writers in the group, I think I think that one of the things that is also very powerful is that as a singer, I get to choose what groups I participate in, and I don't. And I would love, just as a personal request that part of the pledge for singers just be like, I I'm looking for the Better Bureau badge, right? Like, I am looking to see that this group has posted, first of all, that you have signed the pledge. I want to see who your board is. I want to see who are the decision makers on your board. I want to see your rep. I want to see the history of your rep. What is the, are you actually doing? I whatever I can look at to be like, that's real and I can scrutinize that and now I can make a choice. So a personal request for you all to, as someone who has the chance to ask you all. The thing that I I 
feel very strongly about in the pledge is that everybody, everybody who is reading it, who is taking the time to digest it, is not going to immediately be at whatever imaginary end point, quote unquote, there is supposed to be, right? Like there is no end point to this work. The work is the work. And that's the point. And so, you know, I think that it's great for us to have to have accountability for organizations that they are trying and that they are doing this work. And I also feel like there is a very important role, especially for people who are in spaces of power right now to go into organizations that are not and say, let's get to it. Like, what are we going to do? And let's move it forward. Um, And so that's, that's, that's my response is that there's, there is, everybody is on a different space in the journey. Um, We're all on it. Can't help it. And uh, you're either refusing, which is a, is a, another space in the journey, or you're on it. That's a decision that yep, you're making. Is, yes. you know, and it, like, I don't want to, I don't want to call it. This is a movement that we all have to work, work on together as a community. Like, this is not like, you know, oh, it's just up to us individuals to uh, recycle our plastic and then we'll save the environment. That's not how this works. Like the big, the big players have to do most of the work in order for this to happen. But there are steps that we can take as individuals. There are ways that we can step up and interrogate what, you know, the situations that we're in professionally or, you know, in, in coral communities. Um, I don't want to toot my own horn here, but like as a composer, I've had several opportunities over the past year where I've been approached for commissions or like, you know, commission projects where there's more than one composer involved in a commission project. And I've asked the question and it's, it's scary to do it because there is that kind of like, I don't know how much power I hold until you take the step of asking the question, are there other composers involved in this project who are black? Like just straight up, who else is involved in this project? If it is a bunch of people, a a bunch of of non-black people, I don't want to be involved in that project. Like you, I'm going to, I'm going to cede my space to a black composer because we've had this history of hundreds of years of ignoring black composers and black musicians. And I'm tired of it. And uh, I have been, I've been lucky, I guess, in the kinds of people who approach me personally, I think, (laughs) in that every time I've asked that question, I have received a positive response where they've said, actually, no, we have, uh, we've asked three other composers in this and two of them are Black and we're asking you. So, you know, and then I felt like, yes, I am working with the right people, check. (laughs) And if they had come back with to me and said, no, how dare you ask that question, then why would I want to work with those people? Actually, I would just make myself miserable. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so uh Zaneda, how how can we best help to promote this this important message of the black voices matter pledge how can how can we bet what can we do to keep this work going all year long i mean what we're i mean we're doing we're doing the work now you know i think i think that's the that's the thing about the pledge that makes it what what's so what makes it powerful is the fact that you can't there 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 isn't going to be evidence that of the work unless you're ha- the, the, except through the conversations and the relationships that you build build that result in you know you know um, 
in the engagement with with you know hopefully more um black composers and artists and things like that you know but it's it's having conversation like i mean really it, it really is about the relationships and the conversations and and as long as those are because the thing is is as soon as you know there's been talk um i've been in a couple of conversations with, with people who are like you know what can we do can we get it we should have a black black voices matter stamp of approval or something or like you know you know we've done the work and here it is and see we you know we proved it we checked the boxes and we checked the boxes well if we ever get to that point then that's when it dies because that's not what this is about it's not about checking the box and getting and doing you know you're not you're not earning a terminal degree in in making black voices matter <laughs> you're you're you are and you are engaging in a life in which you honor black voices you know what i mean like that like this is this is the this is the way <laughs> you know you can't just stop stop living living and do you know following the way it's just it, it never stops and as long as we are we are we stay on the journey and keep having the conversations um then then that's that's how you that's how you spread the word. That's how the pledge becomes more powerful, meaningful, and we start to see change. I love that as just an absurd thing. Like, you have been cured of racism. Here's your non-racist certificate. Yes. <laughs> no more racism from you, congrats. <laughs> yes, so oh, now God. nobody has to look at you anymore because you did hey, your job, you did the we're, thing, we're, Yes, we're like swimming in a racist ocean. <laughs> so it's that was like, hard. I <laughs> We got rid of it. It's good. No more racism. Yeah. Um, I want to shift back just just slightly um, to to talk about sort of in these conversations. And we sort of talked about this, Christy. You talked about this a little bit earlier of that uncomfortable conversation that sometimes you'll go and talk with a director. Or you'll you'll say something. Um, I was chatting with our dear friend Vince Peterson of Coral Chameleon and the Empire City Men's Chorus uh, earlier today, and one of the things that we talked about is that. Um, this idea of collegiality in the choral community, right? Here we all are. We don't know each other. We hadn't met before this moment. You all have, but we, we didn't have the opportunity to. Um, but one of the things that sometimes happens is that entrenched powers that be will certainly be resistant to change, right? Like that is the problem. That is kind of the issue is that like if you, there's lots of people who've got power and they don't really want to give it to anyone else. Um, my question to you or to you all really is, um, have you met any resistance in crafting or distributing the pledge? And what does that look like so we can recognize it? The way that I have seen, I have seen resistance pop up is uh, people talk to me about the language in the pledge. Hmm. And there's a, this, this, these words, I don't like these words. I don't like this, this cis hetero patriarchy word that you all are using like what does that even mean well you know look it up <laughs> you can figure it out you know that's what google's for and so it's the, that i think that's a classic tenant of of white supremacy is is to, is tone policing you know make this more digestible for me so that i don't feel so out of my depth when i'm reading it or i don't feel so uncomfortable when i'm reading it um but we we were deliberately specific in the pledge we wrote the words in the pledge we did not take away the power. We did not want it to be watered down. That's why it's there is no organization that owns this pledge. This is a collective of authors because we felt like we were seeing 
other other statements and pledges that were watered down, that were made to allow people to feel comfortable while reading it, which ultimately means that there's probably very little action that's going to come out of that because uncomfortable is where the action is. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the ways that I've seen the pushback. And I, I have to say, as a person who did take the time to, to read it, and um, I, two things that I want to say about that is, one, um, oh my God, talk about leading a horse to water. Like, you all have basically diverted the river through the stable, and it's like literally all you have to do. It is so unbelievably, I mean, the work is there, but it's literally like just dip your head down and splash some water in. Like, it's it's actually not that hard, right? Like, you know, I love like um, the list of the composers. They're, you know, every bullshit answer you've ever been given, you guys are like, oh, you, you, you've never heard of, of black composers? Here's a list of them in every variation you could possibly want. And um, and so like that's one thing I sort of wanted to say, which I think is is amazing, and I, I appreciate the work that you've done. The second is maybe um, a, a tougher kind of question, and it's more personal. Feel free to be like, nah, I don't feel like answering that, but um, it's not lost on me that we're two cisgendered white men talking to three women who are doing the work. What does it take from you? What 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 energy sort of what? Um, it's a lot of work. How are you, I guess, is the very simple question as you do this work. What is its impact to you personally? Some things are better than others. I mean, <laughs> you know, um, you know, uh, it's, it's a lot, it's, it's, it's heavy to, to do this work because, you know, um, because it's heavy to, to, to be a person, you know, to be a person that is seen, you know, as, as a part of a minoritized population, you know, and, and I mean, like, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's more, I, I personally feel the weight more of living with, you know, the, you know, inequity and the lack of, you know, and all of, all of that, then, you know, because, because this, what's in this pledge for me, like, is is kind of like the story of you know it's like my what's in what's in the pledge is more like my dream you know that that coming up with these thoughts and things and it's like you know what would it wouldn't it be great if this things so that that part wasn't hard you know and um and and talking to people about how important it is isn't hard um you know it's 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 going into rooms and knowing that this exists now and that there's so many resources and tools and knowing that it the that the the conditions are still awkward and difficult and the the, the lack of inclusive inclusivity and equity and diversity persists you know and you know when you've been feeling like a, a marginalized person for you know ever you don't it can't change fast enough there's always there's always a, a chance you're going to go into a room where this work is being done and and or where the attempt is being made to do the work and you're going to get hurt and that's that's like the hard thing is like you going into the room hoping that it's going to be okay and then it's not okay and then you know having to kind of lick your wounds after that. i mean that that's that's been my experience i am not black <laughs> so i what? feel like this is the <laughs> so i feel like this is the least i can do you know, uh, as an Asian, Asian American, 
um, we don't have the greatest track record on race issues uh, as a, you know an Asian in the Asian community a lot of the time anyway. Um, with some huge exceptions, you know, Grace Lee Boggs, for instance, uh, is someone that I look up to as an Asian American and someone who um, whose radicalism in this fight is so exceptional that I like, that's who I want to be when I grow up. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I feel like, oh, am I tired? Am I tired? Okay, so now imagine what a Black person is feeling in this because they have dealt with this, you know, it's like, a generational thing in this country so shut the fuck up and get up and keep wor keep working is kind mm. of how i feel about it <laughs> yeah i i feel the same way um i am obviously also not black um and i think that i i feel like it's a responsibility that we all share and i i feel like i have positions of power to do something with. And, you know, there's like a, I think they use this phrase a lot in the military. It's like, if it's not me, then who? That's how I feel about it. Like we all, we all have to do it because we're all in it. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Well, as we're rolling here towards the end of our time together, um, you know, Giacomo, I wanted to make sure that we let the three of you know and all of our audience uh, know that, you know, this podcast, the In Unison podcast, we intend to adhere to this pledge over the course of time. Uh, we both feel very strongly about its importance. Um, and so we intend to have a, a regular cadence of episodes that are dedicated to continuing to shine a light on it, um, to revisiting groups and individuals who have committed to it and ask about their progress and how things are going and what they're doing to adhere to it, what their achievements have been, what their successes have been, what kind of roadblocks they're coming up against. Um, and obviously, we're going to hope to have uh, each of you back on as well to talk about your own individual paths um, down this trajectory um, as well. Giacomo, would you agree? I would completely agree. And also because I'm a selfish little piggy, I have so many more questions for each of you. I, we couldn't possibly answer in one episode with all three of you. So we would love that. And yes, I 100% agree. And I can't thank you enough, um, not just for being a part of this conversation for the last hour, but for for all of the work that you have done for within your own organizations and with this pledge as well. It is It is extraordinary and it is appreciated. Thank you. And it's Thank important. you for having us. And I feel like it's really important for us to call in our, our other co-authors who, you know, really helped make, helped the foundation and, and many, many hours of work um, into, into making the pledge what it is. Um, we're, we're here to represent it, but it's, it was definitely a collective effort. Yeah, it's much bigger than any one of us. Yes, we will have links in our show notes to the pledge itself, to all three of our guests today, as well as all the other authors, um, the co-authors of the pledge. Um, and we'll just have as much information as we can in the show notes because we want to spread the word, no doubt. Thank you. Yeah. And it was great to actually just get to know you all personally. You're all fabulous. Thank you so much. <laughs> Yeah. Thanks. We never have a chance to chat like this either. So I know, I know. I'm, I'm kind of like, oh, it's it's these people in the room again. Let's talk. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> Even when we were doing the pledge, it's like this constant pull of like, I just want to talk to these people because they're so cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we have to work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks again for joining us, uh, all three of you. And it's been wonderful. And we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Have a great night. You, you too. too. Bye. Bye. Bye bye. We wanted to end today's episode with three more music excerpts. First, we have I Don't Recall from the Gonzales Cantata by Dr. Melissa Dunphy, featuring soprano soloist Julie Krem. This excerpt is from a YouTube promo mashup video that includes spoken testimony from Alberto Gonzalez in addition to the musical performance. I do not recall. I don't recall the conversation. I don't recall whether or not I was, I was present. I, I suspect I probably was, but I don't, I don't recall. I do not recall. I don't 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 recall such a conversation. Those were my decisions. I have no recollection of that meeting. I don't recall. Next up is an excerpt of Seven Last Words of the Unarmed, number five, Oscar Grant, written by Joel Thompson and performed by Tonality. You shot me. 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 And finally, here's an excerpt from the exceptionally poignant Can You See, a setting of texts found on protest signs written by Dr. Zaneda Robles and performed by Tonality.
information, including links to the composer's pages and additional episode references, can be found in our episode guide at inunisonpodcast.com episodes. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the In Unison Podcast. If you've got ideas for our podcast, please send us a message at ideas at inunisonpodcast.com. And who knows, maybe Chorus Dolores will ask us to talk about it during announcements. <laughs> In Unison is sustained, nourished, and fostered by you, our loyal and loving listeners. And don't forget to subscribe to In Unison on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at In Unison Pod. And hey, if you like what you heard, tell a friend or a section mate. Thanks again for tuning in. See you soon. Handbells tuned by Chorus Dolores, who has sung the Messiah perfectly about a thousand times now. In Unison is produced and recorded by Mission Orange Studios. Our theme music is Mr. Puffy, written by Avi Bortnik, arranged by Paul Kim, and performed by the Danish vocal jazz ensemble Dynamic on their debut album, This Is Dynamic. Special thanks to Paul Kim for permission. Be sure to check them out at www.dynamicjazz.dk.